All right. Today, my, the title of my message is David's Mighty Men. And I didn't like that title because I thought it doesn't really convey what it means. And so I changed it to David's Special Forces, which is much more indicative of what it means. Um, if you know what Special Forces are, they are elite uh, soldiers who are usually quite small in number, but they're highly trained and they go in to do particular missions and they usually have a very, very high success rate. And these guys that I'm going to be preaching about today were David's special forces. And uh, they went on all kinds of missions and accomplished great things. So we're going to be looking at some of their stories today and just seeing how those stories could inspire us in the uh, struggles and the fights that we have. So I brought my biggest Bible so I can intimidate you. So we're looking at um, three main um, passages of Scripture. Uh, the first one is in 1 Chronicles 12. And uh, I'm going to read it to you. If you don't have as intimidating a Bible as me, then please just listen. I'm reading from the NIV, and the trouble with the NIV is a lot of us know it very well, and so it can just trip through your ears without really hearing it, okay? So I really challenge you to, to listen carefully um, to what this is going on. What this is saying. So this passage in 1 Chronicles 12, it's all about a whole bunch of outlaws and renegades who come along to join David. David was a man who um, had been anointed king of Israel, but the existing king wasn't thrilled about that, King Saul, and he was chasing David all around Israel and Judah, trying to put him to death. And um, David was having a really hard time he was uh, running away and hiding. And um, a number of other outlaws and renegades were starting to join him because they recognized that he was the future king. And they recognized the error of Saul's ways. And gradually, David's band got bigger and bigger. Um, but David was very careful with who joined him. And um, in 1 Chronicles 12, it talks about one group who came to see him. And it says, other Benjamites, other Benjamites and some men from Judah also came to David in his stronghold. David went out to meet them and said, if you have come to me in peace to help me, I'm ready for you to join me. But if you've come to betray me to my enemies when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our ancestors see it and judge you. And then the spirit came on Amasai, chief of the 30, and he said, We are yours, David. We are with you, son of Jesse. Success, success to you, and success to those who help you, for your God will help you. So David received them and made them leaders of his raiding bands. Okay? That's 1 Chronicles 12. And then we go across to 2 Samuel 23. And uh, I'm going to be reading for a while, but again, stay with me. This is a description of David's special forces. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Josheb, Bashabeth, a Tachemonite, was chief of the three. 
He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eliza, son of Dodai, the Aoite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdaman for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eliza stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliza, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. And then, later on, it talks about the rest of the 30. So David had a group of a couple of hundred men. Then he had a group of 30, who were the special 30. And then there was a group of three. Okay? There was a kind of a hierarchy to the way he operated. And later on, there's a list of the 30. And I know Greg loves a good list. So we're going to be going through it. Again, keep awake, because there's a couple of names in here, which I'm going to be referring to later. So among the 30 were Asahel, the brother of Job, Elanun, son of Dodo, from Bethlehem, Shammah, the Herodite, Elika, the Herodite, Helez, the Paltite, Ira, son of Ikesh, from Tekoa, Ibiza, from Anathoth, Sibakai, the Hushashite, Zaman, the Aoite, Maharai, the Nephtalolite, Helad, son of Banna, the Nephtalolite, Ittai, son of Ribai, from Gibeah in Benjamin, Benai, the Pirathonite, Hidai from the ravines of Gosh, Ibai Albon the Arabathite, Osmaveth the Bahumite, Elabai the Shabalite, the sons of Jashin, Jonathan son of Shammah the Hararite, Ahiah son of Shara the Hararite, Epithet son of Abishai the Machanite, Iliam son of Abithil the Gibeonite, Hezro the Carmelite, Parai the Arbite, Egal son of Nathan from Zobah, the son of Hagi, or Hagri, Zelek, the Ammonite, that's quite interesting. The Ammonites weren't exactly friends with Israel. Naharai, the Behorthite, the armor-bearer of Job, son of Zuriah. Ira, the Ithrite, Garib, the Ithrite, and Uriah, the Hittite. There were 37 in all. All right. So, there were about 37 of these guys. These guys were David's special forces. They were the elite. And um, we're only going to be looking at the three. And um, the first chap we're going to look at is Joshib Bashabeth. Now, these guys, it's quite difficult to kind of get a grip on them because, firstly, this was a long time ago, and secondly, these numbers and these names tend to just go past us. So I thought maybe a bit of time travel would be useful so that we can go back and just have a look at these guys and see what they like. One of the side effects of time travel is that things do get smaller. And what we'll discover <laughs> is that this guy, Joshua Bathabeth, is right there. I'm going to call him Josh. 
to make things easy. As you can see, he's fully armed. He has uh, all kinds of uh, chainmail armor. He's got a mighty spear and a shield in his hand. And if you take a look at his shield, you'll notice that it's got a huge chunk missing. That's because he's a tough guy, and he's had a number of battles with that particular shield, but it is his special shield. So that's what he wears when he goes into battle. And here we have Joshua Batibeth, also known as Josh, facing the Philistines. So there's a lot of these Philistines. And if we go to this passage over here, which is um, 2 Samuel 8, 2 Samuel 23, 8, Joshua Batibeth, Josh, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men. That is a lot of Philistines. Give you some other views of Josh. So Josh is here taking his stand in a field of barley. And uh, here he is tackling a whole host of Philistines. He's taken out a few already. (laughs) So he's made a good start. But he's got a lot to go. Now there's about 200 there who are busy attacking him. Um, But Josh, in reality, had four times as many to cope with. So this guy was, was tough. And that's what they look like close up. They are really in your face. They are not nice people, and they are armed to the teeth, and they want to cut you into little pieces. The Philistines had a tendency to do that and then cut your head off and stick it on a pole in their temple. So th- these guys were, weren't the prisoner-taking kind. All right, then we move on to Eliza. Eliza's friends call him Eliza. You can call him Mr. Eliza. <laughs> and when David taunted the Philistines at Pasdamon, Eliza was there. The other Israelites retreated. But Eliza, armed with his shield and his sword, tackled the host. There are more Philistines here than there were before. And as you can see, he's standing in his field of barley. Can you see him? He's almost lost. But there he is, near the top. And he's tackling these Philistines. He's taunting them, saying, come on, here I am. And here he is, tackling them up close. Again, he's made a good start, and he's got a couple of hundred to go. says the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And lastly, we have Shammah, also known as Shammah. <laughs> you never ever called him any other name. And here, the Philistines banded together in a field of lentils. Don't you love the Bible? It wasn't beans or wheat, or it was lentils, just to be specific. And here he is, He's at the bottom of the screen, making a good start again. And uh, he's facing a number of enemy who are coming up to take him out. He's at the middle of that field, doing great execution. So I hope that's brought these guys a little bit closer to your mind. So when he says 800 Philistines in one go, that's quite impressive. It kind of makes... Game of Thrones looked like My Little Pony, doesn't it? 
And um, these chaps were amazing. The Lord used them in powerful ways to bring about these kinds of victories. And when the Philistines had battles like that, where there were 800 of them and they just got massacred to a man, it didn't exactly inspire them with confidence. And uh, they, they brought about great victories and really contributed to the power of David's reign. David became one of the most successful kings of Israel, Judah. So what can we learn from these three? Well, the first thing we can learn about is, is this. Being loyal to your leaders. These guys were loyal to David. They knew that these battles were important. The other Israelites ran away. But these guys said, no. David wants me to fight. I'm going to fight. And my place is right here in the middle of this lentil field. I'm going to take my stand and I'm going to cut them down all day if it's the last thing I do. They didn't say, we're with you, David, until the going gets tough, and then we're off. We're with you, David, but I just remembered a previous engagement. I have to go to the dentist or something. They just stood in the middle of the field, and they fought for David and the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean unquestioning obedience or throwing your brain away for us. But it does mean that you have to trust the judgments of your leaders. It does mean that you need to support their decisions, even if their decisions that they make are not the ones that you would favor or not the ones you would like. You need to support them. And what does that look like? Well, the way it looks is like this. If those leaders make a mistake and they do something they shouldn't do or they've done something and it didn't work out, what does that mean? It means you support them. And you work for the success of whatever those leaders try to do. So if they said, right, we're going to do this initiative, whatever it is, and you think, that's never going to work. Does that mean you don't turn up? Does that mean you don't support them? No. That means you turn up and you give it 100%. You stand in that field and you fight all day. Because we stand and fall together. That's how we support leaders. You pitch in anyway, and you work to make it a success. And you are as disappointed and as gutted as they are if it doesn't work, or if it doesn't come off, whatever it is. You share in the victories, and you share the defeats. Second thing it means is that these guys were really, really good at fighting the right enemy. If you read the other passages in here about David, which I did he was always fighting the right people. He never fought against Israel themselves. He never fought against Judah. All the battles he had were against uh, traditional enemies of Israel. And even sometimes the Philistines used to come to him because he lived with them for a while, which was bizarre. But he needed to get away from Saul. So he just went to them and said, look, do you mind if I camp over there? And they said, yeah, whatever. He had a reputation. And uh, they used to ask him, well, where have you been? You've been raiding. And he said, oh, no, I've been raiding the outposts of Israel. And they were like, oh, right. But he hadn't. He'd been tackling the enemies of Israel all the time. And uh, he never forgot who his enemy were. 
These guys never turned on each other. Even when they were outlawed and pursued by the armies of Saul, they were always committed to Judah. They were always committed to Israel and the Lord. They never lost focus. They knew what God had said, that David would eventually be king. They knew that. We've got to remember to fight the right enemies. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces that are active in this world. And you and I need to fight these. We fight those through prayer. We fight those through using your Bible. You fight those in those ways. And we'll go through some other weapons later on that we can use to fight. But we've got to be fighting the right enemy. It's really important. And it's something that the three and the 37 and the rest of David's guys never forgot. Thirdly, we have to fight the right battles. Some of those Israelites decided, nah, this isn't the right battle. I'm off. But these guys knew. No, this is the right place to stand. This lentil field is where I'm going to be. They fought the right battles. And a lot of us, we exhaust ourselves fighting battles that aren't ours. We exhaust ourselves trying to fight battles on behalf of our, our children. or you know, We're fighting for these things. And actually, sometimes they need to learn how to fight their battles. They have to. You're not going to be there forever. They've got to fight their battles. Sometimes we fight in the adjacent fields of others. Instead of fighting in our lentil field, which is where we were meant to be, we're over there fighting something else. We're just in the wrong fight. You've got to remember where your boundaries are, where you stop and where they start. Because if you're not fighting the right battles... There's a couple of outcomes that come from that. Firstly, your battles don't get fought. So while you're trying to manage everyone else and do all their things, your stuff is falling apart because you're not fighting. Your back's turned. And those Philistines, if you turn the back, they'd be all over you. Your battles don't get fought when you're trying to fight inappropriate battles with some other people. Secondly, the people you are jumping in, to, parachuting in to help, they never learn how to fight. They'll just never learn. And the third thing is you just exhaust yourself. You just don't have anything left for your own battles. Lastly, we need to fight with the right weapons. These guys knew what weapons they could handle. The chap with the spear, Josh, he knew, with a spear I can do great things. He probably wasn't that good with a sword, but with a spear, he could create havoc, which he did. Eliza was the same. He knew, well, a sword, good. Shield, fine, I'm good. Those are my weapons, I'm going to use them. They knew what they were good at, and they knew how to use them. So I'm just going to go across to Ephesians 6, which talks about our weapons. 
I want you to listen to this very carefully. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy, against the devil's schemes. Not your neighbor. You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Isn't that interesting? What an interesting way of phrasing it what those guys did. They just stood their ground. Might failed. So that you may be able to stand your ground and after done everything to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. So a belt is really important. If you're in a battle like that and your trousers fall down, you've got a huge problem. <laughs> okay. You've You've got to be mobile in a battle like that. You've got to be doing all kinds of twisting and turning and fighting and stabbing and cutting and jabbing. And, and you can't do that if your trousers are down around your ankles. So what you need to, to have is you need to have a belt of truth. You need to be armed with the truth, fighting in the right way, with the right things, with the right viewpoints. Fighting with truth, fighting with things that, that are true and that are right. Fighting with a breastplate of righteousness. It's very difficult to be successful in a fight if, you're, if the position you're in is unrighteous. Righteousness just means that you're right. And uh, you're doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. And if you've got that, you can be very proud because in the middle of that battle, you can say, well, actually, I'm going to stand. I don't know if you ever... Have you ever seen Masada? Masada, it's an incredible film. Um, and in there, the Roman uh, general who's in charge is in his tent. And he goes out and he does all his speeches and everything. And he's in this magnificent uniform with this big gold sort of cuirass breastplate. And then he goes into his tent and he takes it off and he hangs it up on a frame and he turns around and he's this spindly little individual <laughs> underneath. <laughs> you and I have an amazing breastplate best place of righteousness that we, can, that we can wear. And that will defend us in every battle. It will protect us, protect our hearts. Our feet need to be fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. These guys were not barefooted in those fights. They needed to have something on their feet to stop them standing on sharp things because there were quite a few. And they needed to be able to fight properly and be mobile. So we need to be ready. We need to be ready to tackle the things that God wants us to tackle. Ready to to do what he wants us to do. And we need to take up a shield of faith. Shield of faith allows us to extinguish the darts of the enemy. So taking up a shield of faith means, actually, I hear that, but I don't agree. God said this. I'm going to stick with that. You just hold up that shield and you fight. Take the helmet of salvation. 
interesting that that is your helmet. It's, it's the thing that protects your head. And, um, you know, the Bible says that we need to renew our minds. The truth of God renews our minds. And when you're wearing the helmets of salvation, it means that you, you know who you are. You know that there's this God who loves you. You know that you are rescued. You know that your passport has changed from the kingdom of other to the kingdom of light. It's never going to change. Never, your citizenship of heaven is never going to be revoked. And with that knowledge, it's much easier to fight the battles that we have to fight. Whatever those battles are, whether the unemployment or finances or sickness or, you know, we've got a number of people going in for operations this week. We've got to fight for these guys. They're serious operations. We've got to fight for them. And lastly, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's something about God's Word that when we bring that into situations, it just makes the enemy flee. Okay? And we can chop with that. We can chop with that all day. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all of God's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Wouldn't that be good? That we could declare the gospel fearlessly in front of anybody, not being afraid of men. It's my prayer too. Okay, so when we are facing the host, never give up. We need to be able to take our stand in that field. We need to fight the right enemy, fight the right battle, fight with the right weapons. Never give up. I was going to put that cartoon of the stork. Have you ever seen the stork? The never give up stork? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, with a frog. So there's a stork standing there, and he's grabbed this frog, and he's swallowed this frog. This frog is like almost completely consumed. His two little legs are hanging out the stork's mouth. But his arms are out as well, and his little arms are wrapped around the stork's neck. And it won't let him swallow. <laughs> we need to be like that, you know, when we are down and out. Because Satan is like that. He's, he's scum. So when you are down, when you are out, when you are tired, when you are weak, that's when he'll kick you when you're down. And uh, we need to be like that. We need to be the, the crow in his throat. So that when he tries to swallow us up, we just, no, I'm not going down. I hope that's inspired you to, to fight well. Should we pray? Should we pray? Yeah, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these guys. I thank you for David's special forces. Their exploits are all over Chronicles and Samuel. They did incredible things for David and incredible things with you. You fought with them. I'm sure that you were there and I'm sure that your angels are with them, fighting with them in those fields. I'm sure it wasn't all them. 
But Lord, we just pray that you would let us learn lessons from these men. Lord, that we would be able to take these lessons and apply them to our fights, the fights that we have, the issues that are ongoing in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fight the right enemy, fight him with the right weapons, and pick our battles, pick the battles that matter, and support our leaders, honor them, make their job as easy as possible. Help us, Lord, to fight the good fight. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.